Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to pick it up again in verse 8. We've already done some of these passages, but we're going to look at it from from a slightly slightly different view. Hebrews 11.8 By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now we're going to skip down to verse 13. We've already covered those others. Verse 13, And all these died in faith without receiving the promise, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So if we look back up at verse 8, it says, Abraham went out to a place that he was, he was to receive as an inheritance. That's what God told him. He was going to receive this land as an inheritance. But he didn't know where he was going. He had to go based on faith. When he got there, it wasn't like God said, okay, this is your land, take it, you control it. He says he lived as an alien in verse 9. He lived as an alien in the land of promise. It turned out that that inheritance was merely a promise. It was, he didn't get the title deed to that land at that time. It was a promise. And he had to live as an alien. In a, as in a foreign land, he, he dwelt in tents. He wasn't able to build a city. Much hotter in tents than it is in those stone and mud places where they, where they were able to build. And he, it wasn't just him. It was when he had a son. And it was his grandson also, Jacob. They all lived. They all, none of them, got this inheritance of the land at that time. Fellow heirs of the same promise, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Very often God will give a promise, but that promise is not necessarily manifest in our timing. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. God has a different view on timing. Verse 13, all these died in faith without receiving the promise. They died. But they had faith without receiving the promise. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, they accepted where they were. They accepted that which was given to them by God. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had an opportunity to return. If we continually dwell on sin, we will end up practicing that very sin. You continually dwell on it, you'll practice it. That's why Paul tells us in, in Philippians 4.8, he says, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Then the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You want to have peace? You dwell on the things that are good, the things that are right, the things that are holy. You dwell on those things and peace comes to you, the scriptures say. That's Philippians 4, 8 and 9. 
He gave them a promise. He says, this is the land of promise, but you're not going to receive it now. So often God gives us things and we don't understand it. We look back from eternity and then we will understand it. He, Jesus does the same thing with us. Jesus says in chapter 14, verses 2 and 3 of John chapter 14, verse 2 and 3, he says, he says, in my father's house are many dwelling places or many mansions. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would have told you. And he says, and I will come and I will receive you and bring you there. God gives us a promise. He gives us a promise. I want to look at this in relation, and some people will say, well, that's because he is speaking about people who lived prior to the death of Christ. Once Jesus came, you know, things are very different. Well, if you look over in Acts, so clearly the book, the book of Acts is different in that the book of Acts is talking about a time after Jesus had already died and resurrected. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now about that time Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. So think about this. This is the king of the land laying hands on some of the disciples. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. Remember, James and John were brothers and they were disciples of Jesus. They were they were. Uh, uh, part of the 12 disciples, James and John, he took hold of James and he had him put to death with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews in Acts 12, 3, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. So then he had Peter arrested and it says that he intended to kill Peter too. Puts Peter in prison, an angel comes and delivers Peter from prison. Well, why didn't he deliver James too? We have no idea why he delivered Peter and not James. We will only understand that in eternity. But there are promises which are given, which are not always fulfilled on this earth. Welcome to the world of walking in faith as a believer. That's what it means you walk in faith. There was a land of promise that was given to them, that was promised to them. So he tells, tells Abraham, go to this land. I'm going to give you an inheritance. Abraham goes and he says, psych, just a promise. You know, you're not going to get it right now. It's just a promise. No, you can't build a city. You're going to dwell in tents and you're going to be moving back and forth in tents. You can't have a city. Oh, come on, Lord. I mean, this is getting kind of hot in this tent. But that's what he did. That's what he did. It wasn't always for Abraham's own comfort. Did you know that God does not exist just for our our own personal comfort? Many things we don't understand until we look back in etern- from eternity. And I want to talk about this in, in, in the light of the, the recent passing of Nabil, uh, uh, Nabil Qureshi, who was a, a good friend of mine, and one whom, whom I spent a lot of time with, whom I could always call upon to, to teach in this class. And even I think his teaching in this class was the last public teaching that he ever gave. He was really weak at that time. It was, it was in uh, the month of July because I was in Israel for two weeks and I asked him to fill in for me in one of those weeks. And even in the midst of his weakness, he did that. You know, from the time that Nabil first told me, he, he called me while he still lived in Atlanta and he had gotten this diagnosis originally in, in Atlanta. It was confirmed when he came here to Houston, but he got the original diagnosis that he had stomach cancer and stage four stomach cancer. And he called me right away before he had told his parents, before he had told as for anyone else, as far as I know. And he told me about this. And, and I'll tell you, I spoke 
only encouragement to him. I only spoke encouragement to him. And I said, Nabil, um, you're going to get through this. You're going to get through. And being the apologist that he is, he said, Dr. Tour, how do you know that? (laughs) And I said, because I will pray and God is a prayer answering God. Now you say, well, well, how could you say that if you didn't really know? Let me tell you how I could say that. If you turn to 2 Kings chapter 8, 2 Kings chapter 8, the book of 2 Kings chapter 8, there's an occasion when Elisha the prophet, a great man of God, a person comes to him or sends a servant to him and says, am I going to live from my sickness? So 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 7 says, Then Elisha came to Damascus. So Elisha was a great prophet. Now Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, was sick, and it was told to him, saying, The man of God has come here. The king said to Hazael, Take a gift in your hands and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Will I recover from my sickness? So Hazael went to meet him and took a gift in his hand, even every kind of good thing of Damascus, 40 camels loads, And he came and stood before him and he said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, has sent me to you saying, Will I recover from this sickness? So the king of Aram, this is not of Israel, the king of Aram living to the north from a, in Damascus sends one of his servants and says, Elisha is, 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 is nearby. Go and ask him if I'm going to recover from my sickness. He brings 40 camel loads of gifts for Elisha. And here's what Elisha says uh, uh, to Hazael, the servant of King Aram. He says, um, Then Elisha said to him, Go say to him, You will surely recover. But the Lord has shown me that he will certainly die. He said, Go tell him he will surely recover, but I know for certain he's going to die. Now, why would he do such a thing? On that basis, I'm not giving any proclamation to anybody on how they ought to live. I will always give an encouraging word to somebody who is sick. Because I have no idea whether they're going to live or die, get well or remain sick or get sicker. I have no idea. I'm not a prophet. Some people are prophets. Not me. I have no idea. I have no idea regarding the future of a lot of things. All I know is Jesus is going to return and I will be with him. That I know. But as far as the details here on earth, I don't know. So I'm always going to speak encouragingly. I don't know what's going to happen, but I always spoke encouragingly to Nabil, no matter what he went through. I was with him almost every day in the hospital for the past several months. With him almost every day. And I continued to say, Nabil, you're going to be all right. I said, just just don't worry about it. Just rely on me for faith. You're going to be all right. I'm going to speak encouragingly because I don't know. I mean, Elisha knew the guy was going to die and said, tell him he's going to be all right. So I figure I'm okay. I mean, I would rather God say to me, you never should have told these people that they should be okay, than to have God say to me, why did you tell those people they were going to die? And they did not. I would much rather err on the side of mercy. Much rather err on the side of mercy. And I told Nabil, and I constantly quoted to him Luke chapter 18, verse 1. Luke chapter 18, verse 1 says, Now he was telling them a parable to show them that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. I prayed for Nabil every single day. He was the first person on my prayer list early in the mornings. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he gives a parable. 
and he talks about a woman coming to a judge over and over again, and the judge finally says, I'll give it to her just because she's bothering me so much. And Jesus used that as an example about how we ought to appeal to the Father. He says, if, if this unrighteous judge is going to give it to him, how much more your heavenly Father will give it to you? That's the example that he gives to us. So I continued to pray for him. Regardless of what the diagnosis was, I continued to pray for him. And he was the first person I prayed for every day. And I would text him the prayer every single day for over a year. Every day. I didn't miss a day. Even when I was traveling internationally, I didn't miss a day to pray for him. And he would always respond. And his, his common response was, Amen. Thank you, Dr. Tour. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Tour. Day after day after day, I prayed for that young man. I loved him. And I prayed for him. These, Abraham went into this land. There was a land of promise. And he just trusted God. And it was never fulfilled in his life. It was never fulfilled in his son's life or in his grandson's life. But he trusted God that a promise was made to him. And he trusted God. So much of our lives is this. I heard lots of prophecies. Many people knew that I was Nabil's friend and they contacted me or they met with me. Lots of prophecies that Nabil was to be healed. And I always listened to them and I always remained hopeful. And I would say to them, Amen. Amen. Then after Nabil passed, I was there that day. I was there minutes after he had passed away. His his mother called Shireen and, and I was the first one there. I was the first one there besides his mother and father who were there when he passed away. And people started texting me. People started speaking to me that God had shown them that Nabil was going to be raised from the dead. And so how am I to argue? There's lots of examples of people being raised from the dead in the Bible. And so I always listened and I was always hopeful. How can I predict the future? How do I know? So I was always hopeful. And then God chose not to raise him. And then the same people that had prophesied that he was going to be healed, the same people that prophesied that he was going to be raised from the dead, started sending me emails as to why he was not healed and why he was not raised from the dead. And that I didn't receive. You know, that I just rejected. And I'll tell you why. Because God does not give us answers. He does not provide us with the wise in life. It's only when we look back from eternity or look back from a long time away that then we might understand what God has. And I learned this from a man named Job. If you turn to Job chapter 1, verse 1, look at this man Job's life. Job chapter 1, verse 1 says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. This is the Bible speaking. The Bible writes this of Job. You know, we'll always say, oh, that guy, he's a good man. I mean, the guy may be a crumb, but people say, he's a good man. The Bible says of Job, he was blameless. He was upright, fearing God and turning away from evil. Blameless doesn't mean that he's without sin. It just means that when he was sin, he was repenting. He was upright. He was fearing God. 
He feared God. He used to pray for his kids all the time, fearing that his children, when they got drunk at their parties, might have cursed God. And so he would offer sacrifices on their behalf. It also says that he was the greatest man of the East. The greatest man. He was the greatest. There was nobody in that part of the world that was as great as Job. Now, maybe if he had been the second greatest, none of this would have happened. But the greatest. He was the greatest man. In verse 8 of Job chapter 1, it says, The Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there's no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. That's God talking. I mean, you you see, this Job, Job was an amazing man. Verse 9, Then Satan answered and said to the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you, you have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in all the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. And so he destroyed everything that Job had. Destroyed all his children, everything. And, uh, uh, and then Job didn't curse God. And then Satan comes back to him and says, let me put forth my hand on him and then he'll curse you. He says, you can put forth your hand on him, but don't kill him. So what happened is, Satan comes and says, the only reason Job is such a great man is because you've blessed him so much. And he's just serving you because you bless him. You put this hedge of protection around people. And so they serve you. They serve you for the trinkets you drop in their life. And God is showing Satan that that's not it. Even if you were to lose all these trinkets and even lose his own health, he would not curse God. That's what God demonstrated through this. Job never knew of this conversation that took place in the heavenlies between Satan and God. Job never knew this. We only get to look back in time and see this. Poor Job never knew any of this. All this hit Job. He never knew this conversation. So Job is asking God, why is all this happening? His three friends come and say, Job, this is happening because you must have sinned. God actually dealt with those three friends. He didn't agree with that at all. These things don't come upon people just because they sin. Then there was another younger guy who says, this is coming upon you to keep you from sinning in the future. That wasn't quite right either. And then God comes. What does God do? God does not give Job the reasons why. He does not say, well, you know, Satan was in the heavenlies. I'm using this as an example to show Satan that you wouldn't curse God. And I'm going to use you as a great example for people. For thousands of years, are going to read this story and be strengthened through your life. He told them none of this. He just revealed himself to to Job and God being who he is. The revelation that God is sovereign was enough for Job. In Job chapter 42, verse 5, it says, Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eyes have seen you. And I retract and I sit in dust and ashes. He, God never revealed to him the why. So if you feel that God owes you an explanation For every little thing in your life that happens that's not quite pleasant, you're going to be waiting an awfully long time and you might get your explanation in eternity. 
you might never get it here on earth. And you try to explain away to people the suffering that they're going through because maybe they have sinned or maybe future sin. You read the book of Job and you'll see you better never do that because they were very wrong. All this came upon Job because he was upright, fearing God, turning away from evil and the greatest man in the East. That's why it came upon him. And as an example to show the heavenlies that it's not just because of blessings that people follow God. It's because of who God is. We get to look back on that and we can sort of understand the context of this a little bit. Poor Job never got the wise. That's why when people, the very same prophets who said that Nabil was going to live, who said that he was going to raise from the dead, the very same prophets are rejected. They're wise when they came with the explanation. I said, that, that, I have no idea why this has happened to Nabil. No idea. But I will understand someday. I have no idea. You want to say, because it's going to be a great witness to, to Muslims, it's going to be a great witness to people. I reject that. I have no idea why. I have no idea. I do know there is an instance in the Bible, it's, it's of a man named Hezekiah. Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1. It says, and Hezekiah, by the way, lived a beautiful life. Hezekiah was a great man of God, instituted tremendous reforms in Israel. In those days, 2 Kings 20, verse 1, Hezekiah became mortally ill, and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall, shall die and not live. This is Isaiah the prophet probably one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He says, set your house in order because you're going to die and not live. A proclamation was said that you will die. It says that then he, meaning Hezekiah, turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord saying, remember now, Lord, I beseech you. Now I have walked before you in truth with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly before Isaiah got out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him saying, Return and said, say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of your father David, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, behold, I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add fifteen years to your life. So God heard the prayer of Hezekiah and added fifteen years of his life to his life. That is the only example where a prophet has come and said, You will die. And then a prayer turned the thing around. Well, what happened with Hezekiah's life? That last 15 years was an utter disaster. A man who had instituted such great reforms welcomed in the king of Babylon's people and showed them all the treasures of the house of Israel. And then Isaiah comes to him and says, why did you do that? They're going to come back and take all this. And so Isaiah confronts him and, and with all of this and Verse 19 of, of, of 2 Kings chapter 20 says, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The words of the Lord which you have spoken are good. For he thought, It is not so, is it not so, if there will be peace and truth in my days? I mean, here is a man who was bringing disaster on Israel, and it was going to happen in his son's in his ch- and grandson's day. And he says, It won't happen to me. I'll be gone by then. In the one case where life was extended beyond what the prophet said it should be, it resulted in an utter disaster. So I don't get involved in God's kingdom. 
He knows exactly what each one of our times should be. He knows the days of our lives. I'm going to continue to do what Luke chapter 18 verse 1 says. I'm going to pray and pray and pray for those who are sick. I'm going to be like Elijah and say, you are going to recover. I'm going to just speak positive words to people. But what ultimately happens is up to God. What ultimately happens is, is, is up to God. I want to turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is an amazing portion. In John chapter 6, Jesus is talking about how He is the bread of life. This is a very confusing passage, even for us today. As we look back on all of this, and we have 2,000 years of history to look back on this to help us to understand it. John chapter 6, reading from verse 51. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now that's really confusing. If you were to see a man stand there and to say, I'm the, I'm, I'm the living bread that's come down out of heaven. And, and uh, 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 if anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. You'd be like, okay. This is a very strange thing. And it was very strange words to them. He was surrounded by disciples, not just the twelve. He had many more disciples than that. So these were not people of the world. These were not Pharisees. These were his disciples. Verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So you would think, you would think that Jesus says that few verses... And then the Jews are totally bewildered. And he says, hey, look, guys, calm down. It's an allegory. You know, just don't worry about it. All right? You would think that he would say that, right? Well, look what Jesus said. After it just says they're so confused and they're arguing about this, verse 53, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. That's his reply to their confusion? And then you'd be like, okay, Lord, just, okay, you said it, all right? It's done. Let's just clarify this thing. Jesus says, okay, I'll clarify it. Verse 54, and he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Could you just keep this quiet? For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, And I live because of the Father. So he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. Not as your fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. (laughs) It's over. I mean, if anybody was following you, it's over now. Verse 59. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore... Many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? So the disciples said, this is crazy. This is crazy. So Jesus, you'd think he'd say, okay, calm down now. No, he says in verse 61, but Jesus, conscious that his disciples were grumbling at this, said to them, does this cause you to stumble? What then if you shall see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? 
Verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Whoa. Now, at this point, you would think Jesus would say, whoa, 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 whoa. Come on back, guys. (laughs) Allegory. Come on back. It's okay. He didn't say anything to him. He never called him back. Verse 67, so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Verse 68, Simon Peter answered and said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The only ones that stayed with him were the twelve. All the other disciples left him. Because it says, In verse 66, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. He says to the twelve, you want to go away too? There's the door. They all went out. There's the door, guys. You want to go away too? (laughs) I got nowhere to go. I got nowhere to go. Plus, You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There are going to be things that hit you in your life that you absolutely do not understand. You will be sent into places thinking that you're going to get an inheritance. And God says, psych. It's just a promise, but you're not going to get it in this life. Nor will your children, nor will your grandchildren. It's going to come later. There's going to be a lot of surprises in our lives. A lot of people that we thought were going to live are going to die. And the Lord is going to say, do you want to leave me? Do you want to leave me? It's not all about the blessings and the good stuff that should keep us close to Him. We learn from Job. That even if we were to lose everything, Job said, when God appeared, He said, I have heard about you with my ears. But now my eye sees you. Therefore, I retract. I sit in dust and ashes. I retract. I pull back. I was totally wrong, Lord. You owe me nothing. You are God. You owe me nothing. There are things that hit us in life that we will not understand. Things that we face that we will not understand. God is not wrong. God knows exactly what he's been doing. He's been running this world for quite a long time without us. And long after we're dead and gone, he'll run this world without us. He knows exactly what he's doing. Things in life we do not understand. You try to be like Job's three friends plus the other younger one and figure this all out. Oh, well, and you you read what they wrote. It sounds very scholarly. And God said, I'm going to kill those men. Unless Job prays for him to protect him. We try to figure out the whys. God doesn't give us the whys. He never told those people. He never straightened it out with those people. He said, my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. You eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you'll have life in yourself. Think about your life and the things that may confront you. When things confront you, remember this. God does not offer the why, but he offers himself. All he gives us is himself. And as Job saw, that is sufficient. 
My eye has now seen you. That is sufficient. God offers us himself. He offered us Jesus on the cross. He says, take hold of him. That is my son. Take hold of him. I'll close with this. I used to always ask Nabil, I used to say, Nabil, how come everybody loves you so much? I mean, everybody just loves you. You, you put up a video and it's got 100,000 views overnight. Everybody loves you. Now, there were a lot of people that hated him. I mean, really hated him. It was like with Jesus. Either you love him or you hate him. There was no middle ground with Nabil. He said, but all these believers love you. What, why is this? And he would just smile at me. And I'd tell him, when I grow up, I want to be like you. <laughs> I want to do this. But I know why everybody loved Nabil so much. Because he loved them first. He gave so much of his life. His family was so close. His community, his Islamic community, he gave all that up. Totally rejected by his family until the end. His family came back and took care of him. But totally rejected by his community. And he knew that his leaving his faith of Islam would destroy his family in the eyes of the community. And that's the last thing he wanted to do was destroy his mother and his father and his sister. He loved them so much. People loved him because he first loved them. And we were really blessed to have gotten to know a man like Nabil Qureshi. Really blessed. And we don't understand the whys. We don't understand it. We never will until eternity. Then God will show us. Let's pray. Abba, Father, I thank you so much for your word, for the truth of your word. And Lord, I thank you for the life of Nabil Qureshi, who has touched so many and so many here in this room. Thank you, Lord, for your mercies that we don't understand the whys in life. But God, being who he is, is sufficient for us. Lord, we trust you that you in your wisdom have done that which is right. We retract. We sit in dust and ashes. We don't understand. But Lord, we trust you. Lord, I thank you that you have demonstrated your love for us, that while we were yet sinners, your son died for us. So Lord, we trust you. And Lord, I pray for those here who do not know you, that you would open up their hearts, that they would be saved. Open up their hearts, Lord God. And Lord, I pray for those here who are shaken by the passing of Nabil. Father, teach them, because this is not the first time. This is not the last time that they're going to be hit with real lack of understanding and real loss. Father, it's going to happen again and again in their lives. So Father, teach them through this to trust you to trust that your ways are right, to trust you in spite of a lack of, of answers to the questions of why. Father, I pray your blessing to be upon Nabil's family, upon Michelle and Aya and his parents and Michelle's parents. Lord, bless that family, we pray. Protect them. And Lord, I pray your mercies and your grace to fall on these young people. Let them never forget this message, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen.